This fall, I've recorded or participated in around 30 podcast episodes. And many of the people I'm meeting actually started doing podcasts during the pandemic. And there are many reasons why people started. But it's led to many moments where I've had to share why I started this podcast. The main reason is because I felt like God was inviting me to do it. But more than that, I quickly recognized that God was inviting me to be open, transparent, and vulnerable about the things that I was working through, or more to the point and more to the season, the things that God was bringing healing to. What's interesting is so many of those things that existed over three years ago when I started this podcast haven't been fixed. But what has happened is I have processed that with so many amazing people. I have shared openly with however many people have listened to the episodes. There's something beautiful that God does through sharing that brings a healing, sometimes for the sharer, but so often for those listening. So when we are talking about healing, God is actually giving us an invitation to something abundantly more than we could have asked or imagined, not just the healing of what we want, but to the healing of many. This is why I'm really grateful for my friend, Zach. I have known Zach for a couple decades. We went to high school together. We interacted in a number of ways like Young Life and FCA. And Zach and I have begun to reconnect over the last few years. Zach actually listened to Peyton's episode and was really encouraged by it because of some things that he's been working through. And I saw a post of his shortly after where he made it clear that God was calling him to share his story. And it's not an easy story to share for many reasons. But to Zach's credit, he took a step of bold obedience to come onto a podcast and to open up about his life, his struggles, and God's healing. And he sets an example for all of us. Because if Zach can do it, you can too with whatever platform God's given you. And God may be planning to use your story to heal many. You're listening to episode 81 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you for my friend, Zach. And this is easily the longest running relationship I've had on the podcast. And and I just thank you for just reigniting the the friendship, uh, even just in the last few months of us connecting more and interacting more. I really feel like you want to do something through this conversation, uh, but I don't know what, and I don't know what to what extent. And so I just want to release it to you. I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this conversation. I thank you that you're going to speak through both of us. So we give you our words. And we pray that if there's anything you want us to say, that we would step in boldly. If there's anything you don't want us to say, that you would just drop that right out of our minds. And I just pray for peace and wisdom and guidance. But above all, I pray that you would glorify me. I ask pray in his holy name. Amen. All right, Zach. Zach, when, when did we first meet? I was trying to remember that. How far back do we go? I remember freshman year, freshman year of high school and hanging out in the lobby of the high school. So, man, we, we're taking it all the way back to Patrick Henry High School, yeah. home of the Patriots, pump it up Patriots. I just had my uh, 20-year reunion, Zach. That's how old we are. <laughs> we're getting along. So one thing I always do at the start, and I'm glad I said what I just said because it triggered something in my mind. That's perfect. I, I do like this little improv game that 
I'm surprised I'm still doing it, but I want to give guests a way to just quickly say who they are, but I want to do it in a fun way. I always come up with it on the fly. Today, I wasn't going to, and then I forgot to come up with something, but I was triggered talking about high school. So here is your about you prompt. So I have pulled out the old Patrick Henry yearbook. I've dusted it off. I'm scrolling through and I get to the page and it's got a picture of you and it says Zach Stein and under it, it's got a little blurb about who you are. What does that blurb say about who Zach is? Uh, the nice guy. <laughs> but you are a nice guy, Zach. Was that one thing I'm excited about with this conversation is, you know, there's something that you posted that actually is what led to this moment. And I went back to try to find it with your church, you help write devotionals and you started to realize that there are ways that you were processing through the devotionals that you knew could have more value outside of that space. And what you wrote is I'm at the point where I want to talk about my personal issues because I feel like it would really help people who have similar experiences. I think one thing I want to name is that this conversation for you is an early step in a journey of, you know, knowing how God is inviting you to share of your stories, of your experiences, of your struggles. And that's a hard and challenging thing. And so I just wanted to name out that out the gate that I really appreciate just being able to be in conversation with you because I know it's not an easy thing. I also know that you had seen the episode with Peyton Garland, where she had talked about some of her struggles and some of that resonated with you. And and so I guess I just want to just start off just opening the floor. You've seen me posting about these healing episodes and you've been going through your own healing journey. Tell me a little bit about what God's been up to and what he's been putting in your mind lately. Back in May, we had a pastor come to our church, uh, Julian Gaither, who has a big social media presence and he's really big in praying in tongues and proclaiming things over people. And you know, he had awesome time of worship, you know, and then we got into praying in tongues and he was laying hands on people. And when he came to me, like, and put his hands on me, he was just like, God's going to give you the desires of your heart. Hmm. And then my mind automatically went to the analytical questioning. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and that sent me down a rabbit hole where I was like, kept exploring it in my mind. And even as we were praying in tongues. Then I looked around and saw all these other guys jumping up and down. Some of them were falling to the ground and shaking. And and me, I was just feeling like crap. Mm-hmm. Then at the continued praying in tongues, all of a sudden, you know, I saw myself locked in a psych ward at a hospital. And one of my friend's wives from the church was there. And she was arguing with people at the nurse's desk trying to get me out just wanting my church family to be able to come and take care of me. And then I started having some visions for the past. Like I had this boss way back when I worked at Domino's back in Montpelier, who, because I was conservative and because I was a Christian, because I was really reserved, he decided that I needed to be taught a lesson, you know, and he singled me out a lot. He increasingly tried to talk about sex and going out to the club and shooting on his baby mama around me. and. You know, even though he knew that I wasn't going to engage him on that stuff, he kept anyways. And then then at one point, you know, because we worked alone together a lot, he would come up behind me while I was doing dishes and stick one of the dough scrapers up my butt and tell me he was just doing a gay test. Oh, gosh. And I would repeatedly ask him to stop, and he never would. He just wanted to get that reaction out of me. Mm. 
but mm-hmm. I never get anything real about it. Like I could have reported him to the owner of the company. I could have reported him straight to Dominus Corporate, but I never did anything. I'll just have a big reaction and say something to him. That would be about it would go, but I would still, I would stay. Mm-hmm. I didn't try to leave. I stayed in that space because I felt like I had something to prove. I didn't want to be known as a guy who jumps from job to job. Yeah. You know, and I felt like I had something to prove to myself, like I was strong enough to outlast whatever this was that was going on, whatever spirits were at work in this guy. Mm-hmm. Plus, I was really dedicated to being there and being the best that I could possibly be. Even if it annoyed other people I was working with because it would hurt their feelings that I was a hustler mm-hmm. and I cared deeply about the company and what we were doing and a lot of them just didn't like my attitude and then the boss that i had was telling them to do things too to further push me and get reactions out of me yeah i've always been the type of person where it's easy to get reactions out of me picking as far back as middle school that's why i was picked on so much mm. you know because you can always get a reaction out of me yeah from there um i also got to seeing things like a family member who would be verbally and physically intimidating towards me and kind of tower over me to another family member who would use me constantly as a sounding board to issues she was having with her husband, constantly trying to use me as a pastor, a therapist, sometimes replacing her husband. All types of images were going through my head. That's mm-hmm. And I realized I needed help. At the time, I was getting psychiatrists through my local CSB. The local CSB here just overwhelmed with people, hundreds of people trying, and there's just a nurse practitioner and a psychiatrist mm. trying to see all these people. So it was rare for you to get the time that you needed really see you and what you're trying to tell him. So I left the CSB, and I, I got another psychiatrist in a private practice who even though he's part-time, he had the time to really hear me out. And he changed my antidepressant and got me on a mood stabilizer. In addition to being in depression and anxiety, I also have PTSD and I'm bipolar. I just got the full diagnosis of it when I started seeing this guy. Mm. Getting new things and getting in with the right therapist really helped me to grow and then move into a space of healing and, and realize that it was okay to let go of things and not hold on and try to be all these things for other people that I'm just not capable of being. Mm-hmm. No matter what their reactions are, I, I got to be strong enough and confident enough to be like, hey, I'm sorry, but I can't be this for you. Mm-hmm. We need to find a way to move on and have a more healthy dietic. And sometimes there's a big reaction and the person doesn't really want to have doesn't really want to interact with you anymore, even though your interactions weren't all that much beforehand. But but yeah, sometimes they'll take time to breathe and adjust. You can't control any of those things. Mm-hmm. And I spent way too much of my life trying to control these things and worrying way too much about what people's reactions might be, worrying about how it would play out socially and worrying about my relationships to the point where it'd be debilitating. Yeah. I had to move into a space where I was able to go with things before they became debilitating, as well as the tendency I have to stay in places that are toxic to me. Mm-hmm. Long past, I already acknowledged that they were toxic. Yeah. 
no matter if I'm part of the problem that's adding to that toxicity or not, I still need to, I still need to acknowledge that I need to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing all this just because it's, I know you're tapping into some hard and heavy areas and areas that what you've shared is tip of the iceberg to the weight that it actually brings with it. So I really appreciate it. You know, you started off sharing this powerful and and challenging story, right? Of there's this space where it seems like healing is going to be happening and you're seeing people receiving something that you want (laughs) and you're like, what's going on? Like, why am I not feeling this? But it's amazing to see for whatever reason, the way that God chose to work was to bring up these memories that then led to this change in what seeking external help looked like. And that's, a, you know, we've tapped into it in a few episodes about, you know, there are stigmas around counseling and, and things like that. I've had a few guests that share the ways that God's worked through that the way that God's worked through medication. And I don't know what comes to my mind is what we want is the quick fix and everything is okay. But what you've just shared is there's been a lot of hard things throughout your life, you know, going back to middle school and, you know, middle school can be pretty brutal, but, you know, you were sharing it. It was exceptionally so, and that work environment that was just highly inappropriate interactions from the boss. I've struggled in work environments ever since. Hmm. Before that, I had never been fired from a job. I had never abandoned a job. Now, since then, I was fired from Amazon, but that's just the way big companies work when they're looking to make a change. And it just, you know, and I've walked out on two jobs without any notice, you know, and it, yeah. it's a hard thing on my record, but it's also probably related to my PTSD because mm-hmm. I imagine that what happened back then is part of what happened to me. Yeah. When you've experienced a trauma, subconsciously, it's hard to know where you can be safe. Because I resonate with that work piece, because I had some really toxic stuff that I went through in a work environment. And even years later, I still find myself subconsciously having reactions. I've got, I mean, (laughs) I don't even get paid for what I do right now. (laughs) Like, so I don't have what I say, my boss, that's not even the right word to use. But uh, the person that I report to, I could not find a kinder, more aware, more caring, more understanding person. And I can't tell you how many times I've subconsciously thought he was about to reprimand me for something because of what I had experienced before. And it's not even a logical thing, right? Like it's just trauma can have that impact on you that even if all the details are different, there could be a part of you that's still preparing to be hurt again. And that's, dude, that's a hard thing to carry. And I'm really sorry that that's gone with you into different jobs. And, and that was just one of the things you shared, right? And that's, that's just one of the things. Yeah. And and one thing I want to affirm about you is, and you shared it, but I want to name it is something that God has placed in you. That is a beautiful thing. You want to stay at the table. Like, I think it stands out in my mind because I just did an episode about staying at the table, but you want to stay at the table. You want to honor the relationships that have been put around you. You want to honor the friendships. You want to honor the places where you work. You want to be somebody that honors those around you. And that doesn't leave. That doesn't run. That's like, you want to be there and steady. And that's a gift that God has put in you to give to the world. But what is so heartbreaking is 
how many spaces in which people didn't want to receive that gift. Sometimes they might not have realized it. Other times they might have, like the boss sounded like he was maybe just trying to get you out of there. I don't even remember which conversation this was, but I had a conversation with somebody who basically shared, you know, that we are a gift from God, like God has created us intentionally, but it's not on us. Like our value isn't attached to whether somebody receives the gift or not. So I want to affirm that in you, like that is a beautiful thing that God's put in you. And I want to name that I'm, man, I'm genuinely deeply sorry for the many times. And even just the few stories you've shared that that gift wasn't received because that wasn't fair to you. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not right. Yeah. Well, life isn't fair. you know. <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned this year that starting in that thing in the spring, you've started to find some healing. So, you know, now we're in the fall, what has healing looked and felt like, and what healing do you see still ahead on the horizon? Caring less about what people think, mm -hmm. feeling a lot less like people are watching me like a hawk. Because mm -hmm. I used to walk around in that space, like constantly in my head on the swivel, looking around for people watching me like a hawk. Yeah. And it was spurred over some very big emotional reactions out of me, even if there's really nobody watching me. Mm -hmm. It was just being crazy, the paranoia that it would create. I think especially with the mood stabilizer I'm on, it's really helped to slow my mind down and kind of see that these things that the devil is trying to tell me and all these chinks in my armor he's getting through, mm -hmm. through lies. And you're right, you know, I do stay at the table. Sometimes I fight to stay at that table, even if it's not going to be something positive. Even if I don't have anything positive to give or share, I'm still fighting to stay there. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that's a good thing or not, I don't know. I can't tell you because there are points where it does more to push people away. And there are points where the victim mindset that I constantly go into takes hold and there's so much lying underneath that I go to therapy for. I want these right now answers to, I want to fix them right now. Mm -hmm. It creates just so much turmoil inside of me and my heart's in the right place. just doesn't always come off like it is. Yeah. We want to make things into just a really simple explanation but that's not the case. You know, you, you have this gift for staying at the table, but like you mentioned earlier that you're also learning that some environments are toxic. And so now you're having to discern, wait, is this a place that I should stay? Or is this a place that I should go? And then you're also wrestling with your own internal understanding of yourself and what you offer. And am I being who I'm supposed to be? Or am I not being who I supposed to be? And then you're doing in environments that are often unclear. And then on top of all of this, what you're talking about is not a quick fix, but a long, long, long game journey of processing and developing an understanding of who you are and what you experienced and what that means. And that's a lot. And, you know, I think one thing I want to encourage you in is you made the comment that even if it's not playing out right, or you don't know how it's going to play out, your, your heart is in the right place. And that's something that I'm having to learn to rest in is to be able to stop and say, instead of it being, did I do this exactly right? Did I do this perfectly? Would everyone agree that I did this the way that I should have? 
learning to say more, all right, to the best of my ability with what I knew and what I had, did I try to take the next best step towards God? Because we have this perfection mindset that's like woven into how we are raised and how we are taught and what's expected of us, that there is a perfect way you're supposed to operate and anything less than that's your fault. The reality is, is that we are imperfect people and imperfect worlds with lots of baggage that we're carrying that are trying to walk in a direction that we don't even know where the direction is. But sometimes the best thing we can do, sometimes the only thing we can do is say, all right, well, above all else, I want to honor God. I want to love God and I want to love others. I may not know exactly how to do that, but this is the best way I can figure out how to do that right now. So boom, here we go. And then take our imperfect steps towards God. But that's something that in the interactions we've had, I've seen ways in which you've done that. Like your devotionals are an example of that. And I've enjoyed reading those that you're taking what God's given you, what you've experienced, who you are and what you know, and you're trying to find a way to bring hope to others through your words. And I don't know what the reception of that has been. And it actually doesn't even matter, you know, reception in the sense that we understand it. But I, I do think that was a step of obedience for you to try to love God and love others. And I believe that God's seen that. So I just want to encourage you in that because the space that you're in can be frequently discouraging, I'm sure. <laughs> and you've, you've described it, but yeah, functionally. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Functionally, yeah. it can be rather debilitating. And sometimes the reactions to it aren't great. Like, mm -hmm. I can even see some negative reactions to the reception of this. And, but to those people, I would say, well, it's not really for you. It, or people who are who struggle like me and need the encouragement, they're not alone. Yeah. And you're right. Like that's I I wrestle with that too in many of my episodes is I'm learning, just like you, I'm learning how, when, where to share some of the things that I've experienced and some of the things that God's taught me through it. And pretty frequently I will say something in an episode and immediately think, ah, man. How so-and-so going to respond to that? And actually more, it's less that I care how someone will respond and more that there are many moments that I feel like someone will not believe what I've said. I think that's maybe more of what I'm wrestling with is that there were many things that I've experienced that people didn't believe or, or care about. And the thought of putting that out there and it been being received in the same way again can make me not want to share <laughs> And part of my journey is what you're describing and what you're doing is how do I step with just enough confidence to recognize the reality that there may be negative reception, but also recognize the invitation that God's giving to love him and love others by putting it out there for those people that need to hear it. And the things that you described, I feel like there are many people that can resonate with parts or many parts of what you share. There are many people who had really rough middle school experiences that have never gotten to process that, that have never really gotten to share, maybe because it would be embarrassing to share some of the things that they went through. And to hear you sharing about it could be an opportunity for them to be seen and heard, even if it's just through audio or just through words and a devotional or something that you've written and I appreciate that you're stepping out like that because it'd be a whole lot easier to not <laughs> say anything. 
how is it that God builds up the capacity in you to start taking these steps? What does that look like? How have you known that it's God that's kind of guiding your steps? Holy Spirit, the peace I get from telling my stories and putting them out there, mm-hmm. the feeling that I'm actually doing some good and just by releasing these things and putting them down on paper instead of holding them in. Yeah. Mostly the feeling of God's peace that I get from just putting them out there. Yeah. What you just said reminds me of a verse that's actually my mom's license plate. And it's Philippians 4, 7. May the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And one thing I love about that passage is it doesn't just describe that there is a peace from God, but it names that it surpasses all of our comprehension, that it does not make sense to us. Sharing about your trauma, going back and reliving your trauma, putting it out there when there could be negative reception does not in and of itself seem like a peace producing thing. And yet what you're experiencing is that because God's inviting you into this and because you're stepping in obedience towards it, you are finding a peace that shouldn't be there, that doesn't make sense and is there nonetheless. And I think that's just a really powerful thing because, you know, people talk about the Holy Spirit, but what you've described is a beautiful way that the Holy Spirit works. You step into these spaces that you might not even have the capacity. And yet not only do you have the capacity, but you also find peace. That's a beautiful thing. Just a matter of proving to myself that I do have the capacity. Mm -hmm. Or even that now it no longer has to be you and your capacity, but God is doing something through you. Like it makes me think of Gideon and Gideon felt very, very small and incapable and was resistant to God for those reasons. And when God called him, he really didn't understand what God was seeing. And what God was seeing was Gideon, the person that he called. And he was seeing his capacity that he could work through Gideon. And I think the wonderful thing about that is then you don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be healthy enough. You don't have to have all your problems and challenges and struggles and all that. You don't have to have those all worked out. You simply need to have God. And that's the place that God's bringing you into is In the spring, when the Holy Spirit was moving in the church, you were very much aware of all the stuff that you are carrying. And yet here we are still within the same calendar year, and you're putting your stuff out there on a podcast, right? Like part of it is how God is building up the strength and courage in you. And the other part is how God is actually working and speaking through you. Because the funny thing is, is that you could say something and God can use that in a way that you could have never expected. You may never even hear about it. There may be one story that you relate today that you might not think much of, but that could be the piece that God used to capture somebody's heart. And that's the wonderful thing about God's capacity. One question that keeps coming to my mind is, The other thing that we struggle with in defining is what success or arrival or the destination looks like for us. And when it comes to healing and when it comes to where you were sitting in the spring, it could look like all this trauma being healed, all of these hardships going away, and all the people around you being able to see you accurately and receive you. And what you're experiencing, you know, six months later, you're still working through these things and still processing through these things. 
recognizing that there may be environments ahead that might not be good environments. So when you think of what healing is going to look like in your lifetime, when you think of what success would look like of seeking God in this, when you think of what destination you're going towards, what does that look like for you? What is thriving in God look like for you? Being able to consistently feel God's peace, hmm. feeling comfortable putting myself out there without having to take extended periods of rest after I do, mm-hmm. not misinterpreting things and being able to work at least part-time without constantly reliving trauma. Yeah. Well, and here's what's interesting about all the things you named, is that none of those demanded that everything be fixed. None of those demanded that all the environments be good and perfect. It, and as you were talking, it reminded me of a verse that comes up often for me, the Apostle Paul saying that I've learned the secret to being content in all situations. You know, the first thing out the gate that you mentioned was you want to continue to grow and feeling that peace. And that peace can exist, as we just mentioned, in environments where it shouldn't even exist, in hard work environments, in hard relational environments. And so I just really appreciate your answer because I think what it shows is that the goal isn't necessarily that everything is healed and now there are no more issues. It's that you're desiring to know more fully who God is and who he's made you to be and to live into that in those spaces. And some of that will come into practical pieces, like being able to work without that past trauma coming back. And that's very real stuff. But a lot of what you shared can exist, even if nothing on the outside seems to get fixed. And, you know, as I'm talking, and as we've been talking, I keep thinking of there's so many people in scripture that that had to remain in these hard and lonely spaces, prophets who were looked down on that people didn't want to be around because they said hard things that ended up having periods where they might have been in solitude, they might have been alone, but not a single one of them was ever actually functionally alone because God was with them. And sometimes in very, very clear, non-platitudinal ways, like God feeding, I think it maybe it was Elijah. Elijah was so heartbroken and worn down. He just wanted to die. It was too much for him. And God gave him rest and used birds to bring him food, I think. So even when these prophets had to remain in hard situations, and even when they had really hard days, somehow God was still able to exude love and still provide peace. And some of their most peaceful moments were actually in their most intense moments, like Stephen in Acts, when he was asked to share what he believed, and he starts speaking and the Pharisees get mad and they decide to murder him one of his most peaceful moments where he's looking up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That had to be this profound peace that defied understanding, that surpassed all comprehension. And he's experiencing it as large rocks are hitting his body. Like that's the kind of peace that we're looking for. And that's the kind of life that we're being invited into. But it's hard because we also just want the pain to be gone. We want the trauma to be healed. And we want the people that matter most in our lives to see us accurately and fully. But the journey getting there can be a long and difficult one. So what would you say to somebody who's in that space that has gotten to a similar space as you, that they recognize there are things that need to be healed, that they are willing to start taking steps, but that idea of the trauma still coming up, the pain still being there and they still being misrepresented 
seems too daunting. What would you say to someone who's in that space where they just don't know how or if they can take another step forward? Stop expecting everything to just be instantly fixed. It might never be fixed. It might be part of who God created you to be. But God still would have you, still wants you to move into this space where you could feel God's peace. You know, it doesn't need to be a stigma about getting help between getting therapy. I've heard a lot of people say they won't take meds Mm -hmm. because that's the equivalent of saying that Jesus isn't enough. Mm. I don't quite know the way to put it because before I put it that sometimes God and Jesus aren't enough, and that's just theologically wrong. (laughs) Mm I haven't quite figured out the way to put it in having the theology in place too. Yeah. Yeah. You've got this tension of, you know, that God is enough, but you also know how he has used medication in your life in a very healthy and positive way. You know, we actually, there's a conversation that's coming up hopefully soon with a friend of mine, who's a doctor. And I've actually wanted to have a conversation with him for the podcast for maybe three years now because he has a beautiful, deep, very authentic faith. And he is also a doctor who prescribes medicine, right? And what does it look like for someone who is an authentic believer to be in this space of healthcare, to be a healthcare professional, when these ideas like you named exist? And, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, because hopefully I'll get his own words. But I believe that one thing that he would say is that one of the ways that God has worked is through the minds that he has given doctors, through the ability he has given them to research and through the ways that he has led them to produce medication that can be used to heal in very practical ways. And so it ends up not being an issue of, well, if Jesus was actually enough, then we wouldn't need medicine. It's yes, Jesus is actually enough. And here are the ways that he's working. He chooses to work through spiritual means, and he also chooses to work through practical means. For example, Jesus was enough when he went to the blind man and the man wanted to see. Jesus was so enough that he could have just spoken, you can see now. In fact, Jesus was so enough that he healed people from miles away. He spoke a word and they were healed. Yet in one instance, Jesus chose to spit in mud and use mud just smothered on this guy's eyes to bring healing. He used a practical thing to do the healing. Did that mean that Jesus wasn't enough, that Jesus needed mud? No, it actually meant that Jesus chose to use that practical mean for some reason. And in the same way, Jesus can 100% heal somebody that is wrestling with PTSD. And he could just do that in a very spiritual way in an instant. And yet he is also, for some reason, choosing to use practical means like medication. And so I think you're right. That is something that is a stigma and is keeping people from potential healing that God may be inviting them into, particularly places where they may need to release control and trust God in that. I think there's also a strong stigma within the Christian, within the American Christian community that against science, against doctors, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so now you're getting into another piece of it too, right? Where not only does it cast doubts on what is honoring to God and what's healthy, 
But if you choose to take medication or to go to a counselor and your spiritual family around you says that that's wrong or bad, now there's another element to the puzzle that you have to navigate another area where there may need to be healing. And I mean, that in and of itself is a whole robust conversation. And that's an area we as the capital C church need to get better at understanding why that call to unity exists. Because when unity doesn't exist, what you've described is a very natural result, that there's disunity through misinformation or through bad theology or through guilting people or through judging people. And when that happens in situations where somebody actually does need legitimate care and that care isn't provided, well, now you are intensifying what they're experiencing, which then can intensify the disunity. Like it just makes this huge mess. And that's not what we have been invited to. That's not, that's like the opposite of this piece that surpasses comprehension that God is actually offering to us. Yeah, I'm really glad that I'm in a church now that has an care team that counsels people and yeah. helps people. You know, they had mental health training, but they also aren't afraid to push you towards counseling and therapy. If you're somebody that needs it, they make a point to you. Mm-hmm. They're not a replacement for therapy. Yeah. And that's a really helpful, healthy place to be in. It's really healthy things for a church to do mm-hmm. is acknowledge that there are people out there who are struggling and want to help them, want to counsel them, yet also point them towards people who have who are more educated than they are, mm-hmm. who are more able to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think one of our big problems uh, in the church forever, maybe, <laughs> has been our propensity to want to pretend like things are okay. And I think it comes from something that you said earlier that I really appreciated. You know, you were saying that we may never be fixed. And what that taps into is we actually have an idea in our head of what being fixed looks like, what we need to be, what's broken, and what we need to fix to get back to what we need to be. And too often, what we think needs to be fixed is anything that inconveniences our life or makes it hard or makes us different, makes us incapable to do something like all these things need to be fixed. And if they aren't fixed, then something's wrong with us or something's wrong with God. But throughout scripture, we see plenty of examples of people who were not fixed based on that definition. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, whatever that was, he prayed for God to take it away and God wouldn't. Was it Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life? There's so many examples where the traditional understanding of being a fixed person isn't the fix that God's inviting us to, because the fix that God is inviting us to is a right relationship with him. That's the thing that's broken that needs to be fixed, not our bodies or our minds or any, and God can bring healing to those things. But even with Jesus, when he healed somebody of a physical thing or a mental thing, The other piece of what he was doing was a work in their souls, was getting them to recognize the broken way that they were seeing the world and God and giving them an opportunity for that to be fixed. And those that recognize that, that found a way to start stepping towards right understanding and right relationship with God were totally different, like so different that people couldn't even recognize them anymore. And they were going into towns and sharing what God had done to such a powerful extent that entire towns came to know who God was, right? 
So I think that was uh, an important thing that you mentioned, and, and it ties in well with the opportunity that churches have. If we break the notion that we need to pretend like everything's okay, you go into church, you smile. If everyone asks, hey, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm fine. Good. Great. God's good. Right? Like you say that, and then you go home back into the messes and the muck that you're in. Like if the church has actually recognized, no, let's be actually authentic in our relationships with each other. Let's walk with each other. Let's create spaces so that we can press into these things because yes, you probably shouldn't shout out all the things you're going through in the middle of a large gathering of a church service. But if there are entities like you've described at your church that create more intimate spaces, if there are smaller gatherings, small groups, house churches, whatever they are, if there are these authentic spaces where we can be real, then we may actually, one, find that we have more in common with each other than we realize. And two, we may find the built-in peace and support that God has created through the body instead of continuing to navigate on our own. So I have two questions before we go. If anyone wanted to read any of these devotions that you've written, is that something that is available to them and how do they find them? At my church, we have a devotional group called Crime Writer. Right now, it's mostly people who have subscribed via email. Right now, it's an email subscription through the uh, Church Center app. Yeah. Before we go, I always like to make space for a guest just to share anything else that's on their mind or heart. So is there anything else on your heart, Zach, that you want to share with those who are listening? It's okay to get help. It's okay to do your research. You can ask 10 people what you should do, and you would get 10 different answers. Having that ability to seek God and listen for his voice and allowing yourself to be led is essential. Your mind will go into a million different places, but you're only capable of what you're capable of, and it's okay to seek that help to build up whatever muscle you need to build up. Mark 5 tells the story of a man who was so filled with destructive spirits that he was kicked from his home, sent away from his family and friends to live in the tombs among the pigs. And he was feared and avoided, except by Jesus. Jesus saw him and went to be with him. And it's a powerful story of these spirits being sent out and this man being utterly transformed to the point where he was unrecognizable. And it's such an immense transformation that everyone that lived there pleaded with Jesus to leave because they were so afraid. Let me pick up in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This was a man who had been written off, that Jesus not only healed, but equipped to heal others. This man's story 
brought life and hope and amazement. Sharing our stories is part of how God heals, not just us, but those around us. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was reminded about something else very fitting to this podcast, the lyrics to the song used in the background. The song is called You'll Walk, You'll Run, and it's from the album Bread for the Journey by Urban Doxology. You should definitely check out their music right after you listen to this. But I want to read the lyrics because it's incredibly fitting not just to the podcast itself, but to this season of healing. Living as a beggar, pitied and ignored, left to spend each day outside the temple courts, sitting on the margins, hard to find your worth, life has worn you out, easy to lose hope, wasting all your years, thrown away your time, but God has something greater, seek and you will find, seek and you will find. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one you're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in him, you will run. Now it's time to go. Go out and spread the word. So many think they know, so many haven't heard. From healthy to the sick, from fortunate to poor, the power of our God can heal a famished soul. Wasting all your years, thrown away your time, but God has something greater. Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you have seen. Revived in him, new life in him, you will run. Left on the ground, helpless and lame, lifted us up, God took away our shame. We will walk, we will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one we're healed, we're clean. Go out, tell the people what we have seen, revived in him, new life in him. We will run. We are longing for healing. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, we are longing for healing. And God is longing for full life for us, for abundantly more for us, for something greater. And part of that something greater is that we would no longer operate in and of ourselves for ourselves. By sharing his story, Zach knew that he was stepping into a dangerous space, but he also knew that God could use his story to bring hope to others, to bring healing to others. And so Zach stepped. And we may never know the results of his words in the lives of others, but we do know that that is just how God works, that he can use Zach's simple words to do profound miracles. But it's even more than that, because Zach telling his story may inspire you to tell your story. And then your story could be used by God to bring healing to others. And it creates something new, which happens if you were listening closely in the lyrics to this song. That it goes from the singular, you will walk, to we. A communal understanding of what God is inviting us to. God is inviting us to share what he has done in our lives. What he is doing in our lives. What we know he is going to do in our lives. And in that communal act of sharing and processing and sitting together, 
we discover a deeper understanding of God than we could have ever grasped by ourselves. What Zach did in this episode was no small thing, and it's not going to yield small things either. And what God will do when you step out and share what God has done, just as the man who was healed did in Mark, you could end up seeing abundantly more than you could have asked or imagined. The story doesn't have to be done for you to share. You don't have to be totally healed because that isn't the actual end goal. The end goal of all of this is to love God and to love others. And when you step out like that, when you share like Zach's done today, you are showing love to the God who is present with you. And you are showing love to others by opening your life to them. And that never comes back void. So ask God how you can share what he has done with someone today. And then ask yourself, where did you see God? Left on the crown
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?